Thanks for pressing play. And this is a fascinating, fascinating episode. I'm super glad you're here for it because today what you're about to experience is a radically different conversation about something that every single one of us has, very few of us think about and or talk about, and it's something that can have a profound impact on our lives, our friends and family, and our coworkers, and that is secrets. Have you ever stopped to think about why do we have secrets? What role do secrets play in human life? What's our own relationship with ourselves and our secrets and the secrets that others keep? You see, it turns out that on average, our guest today says, based on research, that we are keeping as many as 13 secrets at any given time. And our guest today has done extensive research, including more than uh, 50,000 participants in a survey from around the world to figure out what secrets we hold and why, from lies we've told, ambitions, addictions, mental health challenges, hidden relationships, financial struggles, and more. You see, our guest today is the legendary Michael Slepian, and he is an associate professor of leadership and ethics at the legendary Columbia University. He's also a recipient of the Rising Star Award from the Association of Psychological Science. And Michael is considered by many to be the leading expert on the psychology of secrets. He's got a brand new bestseller out. I loved reading it. It's called The Secret Life of Secrets, How Our Inner Worlds Shape Well-Being, Relationships, and Who We Are. And by the end of today's Real Dialogue, you will gain a brand new lens on the role of secrets in your life and in the lives of the people that you care about. You're listening to Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different, and we're the leading real business dialogue podcast. Podcast Magazine calls us, quote, the best business podcast. And then there are some reviewers who call us asinine and overrated. Whatever you want to call us, most of all, we are super glad that you are here. Now, lately, I got to tell you about something I've been getting into. It's this new dessert category called superfood dessert from my friends at Shakeology. And uh, who knew that you could have a vegan, super healthy, protein rich, super tasty superfood for dessert? Visit Shakeology.com. That's Shakeology.com and pick up what I had for breakfast this morning the vanilla chai plant based vegan Shakeology. This stuff is freaking magic. I had a shake for dessert this morning, and it tastes great. I even uh, uh, emailed my friends at Shakeology and said, how many of these am I allowed to have per day? So if you want something healthy and you want to swap out dessert for something that tastes as good, check out Shakeology.com and pick up the new superfood dessert. Now, as Joey Ramone said, hey-ho, let's go. Well, Michael, it sure is great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. So do we all have secrets? Well, in academia, you're not supposed to speak in absolutes, but yes, yes, we all do have secrets. Your work in this area is so fascinating. And so tell me about the pros and cons of secrets and why we should or shouldn't have them and why we as human beings have them in the first place. What a good question. I've, I've not been asked for pros and cons before. So the pros, you are protecting something 
Uh, you might be protecting your reputation in, in your own mind. You might be protecting someone's feelings. You might be protecting a relationship with someone. So whatever you think is the outcome of people learning about this thing, you're preventing that. But the cons, when it comes to really significant things in your life, those are things you generally want to talk about and, and get help with. So you're blocking yourself from the availability of getting help from others. You can't get their emotional support. You can't get their guidance and advice. It also turns out when we keep secrets, we often feel ashamed of those secrets. We'll feel isolated with those secrets. We'll feel inauthentic for keeping them and uncertain that we're doing the right thing. All these negative feelings are tempered easily when we start talking to people and getting the help that we need. And so there's a lot that we're missing. I think the cons tend to outweigh the pros. Interesting. Now, since I've been delving into your work, I sort of, you know how certain things stick in your brain for whatever reason? <laughs> yeah. About three years ago, Michael, one of my dearest friends was murdered in a horrible home invasion. Mm. And the killers are in jail now and, you know, the trial's going to play out over time. But I'll never forget one of the things that our sheriff said when he was talking to the public, trying to kind of get leads on catching what ended up being these four evil and one of the things he said in one of the videos they released was sort of speaking directly to them. And he said, and I can't remember exactly how he put it, Michael, but it was something like, this is a horrible burden to have to carry to get them to come forward. Now, they didn't come forward. But when he said that, it really struck me because I think... Well, let me let me ask you what you think he might have been saying when he said that this is a horrible burden for you to be carrying. When there's something you've done in your past and you've regretted or the outcome was bad, there's no changing the past. And so these things stay with us and they can burden us whenever you think about that thing. Nothing will change. This thing has happened. And, you know, secrets are like that, too. If you're keeping something a secret, it's with you. It's with you wherever you go. And so what do we do about that? If we're somebody that has a secret that we are, let's say, protecting ourselves from, I, I want to talk about secrets that we're protecting others from too, of course, but we're keeping something a secret and we think by doing so we're protecting ourselves. Maybe pop the hood on, on that for me. Well, when there's something that only lives in your mind, you're the only person who knows about this thing. Well, now you, there's only one venue to work through that thing, and that's in your own mind. And so if you're entirely alone with something, the chances are good. You're not going to find the healthiest way of thinking about it because you're all alone and you're not getting the, the help and, and new perspectives and validation or whatever it is that you typically get from other people. And when you are alone with something, especially if you're intending to keep it secret, it means your mind's going to revisit that thing and again, again, and again, because... What it means to intend to keep a secret means that you're going to be on the lookout for cues in your environment related to the secret. Because if, any, if anyone says anything related to your secret, you want to be ready for that. But that increased sensitivity to anything related to your secret, which is what helps you easily conceal in conversation, means you're going to be reminded of the secret frequently, even when there's no other person to hide the secret from. And once your mind wanders to a secret, it may be difficult to put that thought down. You might start ruminating on it. And that brings a whole nother host of negative outcome. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm in that situation, and there's only one big one that I can ever remember in my life, I'm sure there's a lot of other smaller ones I could think of if I put my mind to it, but there's one big one in my life, early in my life, 
Let me talk about it if, if it matters. But if I'm a person in that situation now, I'm carrying what to me feels like a big secret. It's something that I'm ashamed of for some reason. I'm embarrassed about. I, I don't want the world to know I'm a fraud or I fucked up or I did this thing or whatever it is. And I feel like if I come forward with it, you know, bad things are going to happen to me. People are going to think ill of me. Uh, and, you know, in the horrible example I gave you, I might go to jail for it. So what does somebody do who's grappling with what they feel like is a very horrible secret that they have tremendous trepidation around sort of coming out with? Yeah, let's think that through. Let's imagine a scenario where revealing it doesn't put you in jail um, just because that adds a, <laughs> an incredible complication. Um, let's let's put that to aside aside for now. Outside of that situation, there's a really easy path forward or, you know, Maybe it doesn't feel easy. And it's talking to someone about the secret. You're not revealing it to the person you're keeping it from. You you don't have to do that, although there are instances when that is the right thing to do. But you don't have to reveal it to the person you're, you're keeping it from, but you can talk to anyone else, someone you trust, a friend, a family member, maybe a romantic partner, maybe a colleague, maybe a total stranger, someone at the bar, a bar patron or the bartender. It could be anyone you feel comfortable talking to because the research shows, my research shows that the typical experience of confiding a secret in another person, talking about your secret with another person, it, it goes well. You know, we have this like worst case scenario in our minds. It's really exceptionally rare. It goes so poorly. Uh, we see the typical response to confiding a secret is one that people say is helpful. And it turns out that even a lukewarm response, people say, is helpful. Mm. And so people have a lot to offer if we could just open up to them. And so on balance, and of course, every circumstance is different. We can push the, you did something illegal that's going to cause you to go to jail off the side. But in general, you're saying, if I have such a secret, if I'm such a person, if I can find somebody to talk to, maybe even a stranger on a bus or <laughs> somewhere in a bar, there is a sense of relief that comes with that. Yeah. And it's not just because you're saying it out loud, even though that can feel good too. What's most important is that the other person will say something in response. And the research shows it's often something very helpful. And I have some thoughts about this, but I'm curious as to your thoughts. How do I be a person that other people feel comfortable sharing their secrets, even the ones they're ashamed of or embarrassed by. If I want to be somebody who's a great friend and a great family member, and I want sort of my world to know that whatever it is, you can come to me, it'll be okay. What advice would you give me? Traits that people like in a confidant, um, the number one is, one is compassion. Um, someone who is not judgmental, caring, empathic. We really like to confide in these people. And so if you are someone who expresses understanding and, you know, compassion and, and asks about other people's well-being, just some, someone who asks other people about how things are going is someone who gets confided in more just because people will answer the question and understand that you're someone who is there to listen. And so expressing compassion, showing interest in other people's well-being, listening, Another thing that people really like in their confidants, interestingly, is assertiveness. People like to confide in people who are going to push them to do the thing that you know you need to do. Things that people don't like in a confidant, high social ability, you know, high social enthusiasm, that kind of 
makes people nervous (laughs) that someone may let that secret slip to another person. People also don't like to confide in people who are overly concerned with norms and rules. Someone who you think will react poorly to to what you're telling them. Interesting. I I think you just told me why a lot of people tell me they're a secret. (laughs) (laughs) Let me bounce this off you. So I'm not a dad, but I'm a very deeply committed uncle and, and, and my wife is a deeply committed aunt. And um, our siblings have children and the vast majority of our friends have children who've adopted us as aunt and uncle. And as the kids start to go from sort of, you know, being kid kids to young teenagers, 12, 13, they sort of get into that zone. I have made a habit, Michael, of sitting down with them and saying, now, look, here's what's going to happen at some point in plus or minus the next decade. You're going to do something really fucking stupid. And you're going to feel like you're in trouble and you're going to feel like you can't talk to your mom or dad for one reason or another. In that moment, you war dial your uncle Christopher. And my promise to you is we will unfuck the situation, whatever it is, whatever you've gotten into, I've probably gotten into and probably worse. I will help you unfuck it. We will unfuck it. And I won't say a word to your parents. Mm. We will decide how, if, and when we're going to discuss this with your mom and dad. And I know that my relationship with your mom and dad, they've given me that permission to not tell them because I'm your safety valve. And I literally, you know, say those words plus or minus. Mm -hmm. And that's my attempt to make this clear. I hope they get it through my love and our relationship and the time we spend together and the like. But at least with kids, I have found that sitting down and being like radically explicit about this, because we know it's going to happen. It happens with virtually every one of them. And when it happens, I go, okay, great. Here it is. And uh, I'll put on the Batman costume and Auntie Carrie will put on the Wonder Woman costume and we're going to go unfuck this thing with you. (laughs) So, So tell me about sort of how to have these conversations and what your reaction to that is. I wish... Everyone on the planet had such an uncle and aunt uh, that just sounds so incredibly freeing and available because when people find themselves in this situation and it's it, as soon as people start hitting their teenage years, their relationship with secrecy looks very much like what it looks like with adults where, you know, in their younger in their youngest years, kids understand secrecy as a way to try to get out of trouble. But young children can only get into so much trouble. Um, young children also understand that there's a really positive social side of secrecy that, you know, a young child will say a secret is something you can tell your friend and they won't make fun of you. Or a secret is something that you can, you know, that that's the marker of having a best friend. You, you share your secrets with them. But when they start hitting their teenage years, that's not how they think about secrecy anymore. And, and they get so concerned with social approval of peers or perhaps getting in trouble with parents that they start keeping things secret that they really shouldn't. You know, maybe struggling with schoolwork, struggling with a relationship, struggling with a substance, Mm -hmm. having some kind of shame. These are things that, these are problems that need to be addressed. And when we keep problems secret, it often means we're not working on those problems at all. And unfortunately, in their teenage years, everything I'm saying, this applies to adults too. That's when we start getting into problematic secrecy and giving someone the understanding, anyone that they can come to you 
I think would be so incredibly helpful. Just this idea that here's someone that you can share your, your deepest troubles with and they're there to help. And most people are there to help, but it doesn't feel that way. And so making someone understand, I am truly here for you. Your secret is entirely safe with me and we can work on this together. Hmm. That changes everything. That's exactly what we all want with, with a secret we're struggling with. That's awesome. Thank you for that. I, I remember with one of my uh, nephews, I forget exactly how old he was, but you know, maybe 15-ish or so. And I was in the car with him. And it's, it's interesting. My brother from another mother, Al, says, uh, spend time in cars with kids. Drive them to school. Take them, because they talk in the car in an interesting way. Anyway, we were in the car talking about music and life and nothing significant. It didn't feel like at the time. But then he says to me, he says, hey, uh, something's bothering me. Can I talk to you about it? And I said, of course. And he says, how normal is masturbation? <laughs> and then we have that conversation. And he was afraid, like I think a lot of young boys, I certainly know I was, that he was doing it too much. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as soon as I said to him, best I could tell, I'm no doctor. It's pretty normal. And when I was your age, I was trying to set a world record. So <laughs> I think you're going to be just fine. And you could literally see his physicality change, you know, his body just yeah. like this, the shame he was carrying around that he was doing this thing that he didn't think he should, or didn't think he should that, or whatever it was he was thinking. And then that just relief that ran out of him. I immediately first thought, you know, what's maybe so great about talking in a car, you don't have to look at the person in their eyes. You know, if we're thinking passenger and driver, you don't have to say it to their face because you're both pointing ahead. But I think that kind of thing is so incredibly helpful as well. And, you know, it really matches with the more general thing I see in my own research, which is we all keep secrets. It's totally normal to have secrets. And we all keep the same kinds of secrets. When I show people this list of 38 common categories of secrets that I use in my research, the average person has 13 secrets from that list. 97% of people or more have at least one of these secrets from this list. And, and so we all keep the same kinds of secrets. As isolating as a secret can feel, we all have similar ones. And so we're, we're not alone in the secrets we have. So I just love, you know, I just love that smart people like you do this shit, like the, the <laughs> amount of time and energy and thinking and, and, and data oriented research. It's amazing. So maybe take me through some of the, um, the book around, particularly the, the, ca the big categories of secrets that, that we, you know, you said it's 13, we, <laughs> this is the, is the number. So what, what are those 13 generally? Yeah. So let's see how many I can say off, off the cuff. <laughs> see if you can remember your own work, professor. Most common secret we keep includes um, is about a lie we've told. We feel we've told a significant lie and we want that to be secret, the, the truth around that lie. Um, romantic desire mm. is a very common secret. Another common one is you're in a relationship and you're having some kind of romantic thought about another person. That turns out to be the most common secret we tell nobody about. We call that extra relational thoughts. Other common secrets include family secrets. That's also very high on the list. Secret ambitions is also very high on the list. And then, you know, things involving sex and infidelity. Those are common secrets too, but not as common as the ones, you know, I just said. Same with drug use. Um, and then there's more innocuous ones, having a secret hobby, having a secret belief of some kind. 
Hmm. Well, there's a ton to go to there, but just on the hobby, why would I have a hobby that I might keep secret? Yeah. So this is one of the more interesting categories because it, it really straddles the line between the kind of secrets we've been talking about so far and a very different kind of secret, which is, you know, what I call a positive secret. And so really positive secrets tend to operate very differently. You know, we're talking about you're secretly about to propose marriage to someone or you're in a relationship and you've been trying to get pregnant and now you are. And that's exciting. These are things that we feel good about and we keep secret in order to reveal to this very exciting revelation. And people feel really, really in control over these secrets. Now, secret hobbies is on this continuum. So those are fun secrets. Yes. Those are good secrets. I'm going to propose to my loved one. I'm going to, we're throwing a surprise party for Michael for his special birthday coming or whatever. And and in those kinds of secrets, we can have fun co-conspirators. So a group of us can be planning your party without your knowledge. And, And so that's fun shit to go do. Yes. Yeah. And so secret hobbies actually have some of that and they have some of the, the more, you know, negative secrets when people have hobbies that they keep secret. They are either embarrassed about it, you know, maybe they collect stamps or coins, or they think there's something very unusual about it. They, you know, an adult who really enjoys children's cartoons or someone who really likes watching soap operas. And then there's some, you know, that really start getting closer to the other kinds of secrets we were talking about, recreational drug use. And the reason this straddles the line between positive secrets and sort of more prototypically negative secrets is we might feel, you know, bad about it or feel like people would think about us differently. And that that matches the kinds of secrets we were just talking about. But also, if the reason you're keeping it a secret, if you're very sure in this behavior, like, you know, you like doing this thing and you don't care what other people think, um, meditating is another common example of this kind of secret hobby. It starts showing that not all forms of isolation are negative. You know, these are more healthy forms of solitude. People feel independent or, you know, autonomy in in keeping these kinds of things secret. And you feel good about it and you think other people won't understand. And then fine, you're just not going to tell them. And when you've recognized that it it doesn't have these these more negative outcomes we normally associate with secrecy because you you know you're you're really sure about what you're doing and and you feel good about it. Hmm. And so maybe help me with the difference between a secret secret and you know the kind of thing that you're talking about which is sort of maybe not necessarily i'm not necessarily hiding this but i'm not sharing it either one that came to mind for me as you were talking after my friend was murdered i i i had to change the consumption of some media because I just can't consume horrible shit for very long anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had nightmares and, you know, my mind can wander in, into bad things and so forth. And so uh, somehow I found a podcast based on a radio show where uh, these DJs up in Seattle, and I guess now lots of other radio stations do it. They have this show called Second Date Update. And it's a segment on the show. You go out on a first date with somebody and you think it went well, and you'd really like to see them again, and they ghost you, and you don't know what the hell happened, you email the radio station, and they call the person (laughs) with you on the line to figure out what's up, and hilarity ensues. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's, you know, it's silly. It's sort of bachelor-like in terms of its stupidity. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's embarrassing that a guy, quote-unquote, like me, would consume these things in quantity. (laughs) 
But that's not as I'm telling you now. Clearly, I'm not hiding it. But at the same time, there is a smidge of me that's like, if you knew how many of these I listen to, you would think poorly of me. (laughs) And I developed it as a way to kind of keep my mind off horrible things. And, you know, I don't consume as much of them as I used to, but now they're a pattern and I find them funny. And and so here I am, this supposedly smart person who does all this cool shit. And I listen to this radio podcast segment that's very bacheloresque. <laughs> and so what's the difference between sort of that, something that I'm not sharing, I wouldn't necessarily love the whole world to know. But at the same time, you know, I'd, if you found out or if it come, came up in conversation, I'd sort of admit to my you know, guilty pleasure. Yes. And so this is the difference between privacy and secrecy. And it can sometimes be hard to draw a line between them because they can be completely overlapping. And I think your example shows that well. There's all kinds of things about ourselves that people don't know about. And if the reason people don't know about that thing is you are intentionally withholding that information, that's a secret. If the reason other people don't know about it is it just hasn't come up yet and you would be willing to discuss it if it was relevant or if someone asked you a question who was close to you and you'd be willing to sort of make yourself vulnerable to them, you know, those are more issues of privacy. And then there's things that we don't talk about just because we're not used to talking about them or we feel like it's not appropriate to talk about them. Sex and money are are good examples, and those can feel like private matters when we're not talking about them just because it's not the kind of thing you talk about. But if you have a specific sexual experience you don't want people to know about or a poor financial decision you intentionally want people to not learn, you know, those things would then become secret. And in general, I think if I understand your work, the degree to which that secret sort of bothers me or haunts me if I, you know, maybe that's overly dramatic, but it's, it's on my mind. You know, one of my, as a kid, I fell in love with a Christmas Carol and Dickens and Ebenezer Scrooge and all of that stuff. And I just loved the book and the movies, the old black and white movies I used to watch with my grandfather and my uncles. And there's this great part of the book when his partner, Jacob Marley, as the first ghost comes to see him to tell him he's going to be visited by the three ghosts. And one of the things Marley says to Scrooge is he says, in life, we forge the chains that bind us. Right. And in in some ways, those can be secrets that we're carrying that around as opposed to a private thing or maybe even something that's a little, you know, somewhere on the line between private and secret. But it's not haunting us. It's not part of the chains we're dragging. And so maybe help me understand sort of that line, privacy, secrecy, something that I'm not exactly forthcoming about, you know, it's not one of the chains. Yeah. And so when does it feel like we're carrying a secret around with us? Certainly if it feels like it's often relevant to things we're talking about and that's when we're holding it back, well, all of a sudden everywhere we go, we seem to be holding this this secret back. But even things that don't come up often in conversation, our minds can still return to them frequently. And so if there's something about the secret that makes it really easy to come to mind, you know, if it's about, if it's a secret about your relationship, well, relationships are all around us. It's really easy to get reminded of a relationship oriented secret. If you're watching any TV show, any movie, or just like out in the world, there's relationships everywhere. So certain secrets just are more related to things in our environment. And that will remind us of our secrets because you are on purpose overly sensitive about anything related to your secret in case you need to hide it in that moment. But things we feel that are really unresolved or really require some kind of action on our part 
our minds often going to return to that secret because there's some work to do. And when something, when there's something to do to find a better way forward, you're going to keep thinking about that thing until you can find your way forward. Fascinating. Now, I've heard it said, you know, married couples or people in committed relationships, you know, should have no secrets. You hear this. And I, I've been, been wanting to talk to you about this ever since we got introduced. So years ago, I have a dear friend who's married to a man and she was with me and said, you know, I really need to talk to you. I got a problem. Okay, what's the problem? And she said, well, you know, a few months ago, I was on this business trip and yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. She slept with this guy. So I was surprised. It was, she did not seem like the kind of person who might do that. You know, she's a very committed person, a very smart person, a very engaged person, et cetera, et cetera. But I guess it can happen to anybody or it does happen to people of all walks or whatever. Anyway, she came to me and she said, look, I want to tell you this because it's going to make me feel better. She understood that part. But then came the extra hard part of the conversation, which is I know her husband and he's a wonderful guy and mm -hmm. we're not super close, but, you know, I know him and, and so forth and so on. And she asks me the billion dollar question, which is, should I tell him? Yeah. And I asked her, well, what, what do you want to do? And she said, well, you know, I, I argue for it. I argue against it. And I, I, I can't, I'm stuck. I really don't know. And so I asked her a couple questions, uh, professor. I said, well, do you still love your husband? She said, absolutely. I said, are you interested in any kind of a relationship with this other man? And she said, absolutely not. It was, it was just Something had happened. I said, are you fucking sure? You know, and so we had a long conversation about like, where are you really with your marriage? Where are you really with this thing that you did and all that stuff? Mm -hmm. And I was confident that it was a mistake. It happened. And she loves her husband. And that was that. And so I said to her, Michael, I said, don't tell him. And I said, because if my wife did that, I don't want to fucking hear about it. Mm -hmm. I really don't. There's no need to do that. Now, it's different if you're having an affair and this and that. That's a whole other conversation. Yep. I believed her that it was a one-night stand. And even if it was a three-night stand, who gives a fuck? It wasn't an ongoing relationship. She hadn't fallen out of love, any of those things. Yeah. And I said, look, if I was your husband and those were the actual circumstances, I don't want to fucking hear it. So do what you need to do to process this. And I'm happy to be part of it. I love you anyway. I'm not judgmental about, you know, I tried to be a good, mm -hmm. you know, friend and, and somebody who was totally open and would love her no matter mm -hmm. what she did kind of an approach. But I did encourage her not to, and she didn't. And they're still married and their kids are great and they're great and they've gone on. And so I feel like I made the right judgment call in answering that question, but you're the expert. Yeah, you asked questions that I would ask too. We really hit on some of the big ones. There's just maybe one more I can add to it. And so questions to ask yourself, is this a one-time thing? Same thing you asked. Certainly, if this is a repeated offense, um, you know, not just, we're not just talking about like a repeated with one person. If you're cheating on your partner with all, you know, a bunch of people, I think you're not going to find any psychologist who's going to say, that's okay to keep secret. That is clearly a problem that needs to be addressed. If it was a one-time thing, I think the next, another question you could ask yourself is, why do you want to tell them? Is it just to lift the burden from your mind? Because once you place that burden on them, here's that burden coming up again. You know, you might be taking the burden off you and just loading it right onto them. And then there's no way of taking it back. It's there forever. 
one other thing to ask yourself, and, and this is maybe the hardest question, is would your partner want to know? Because even if this was a one-time thing, there are people who will say, I would want to know. And there are other people who would say, I would not want to know. Um, I, in fact, asked 300 people this very question, 300 people who are in committed relationships and presented exactly the scenario you just described. Imagine your partner is out of town, gets drunk one night in a total lapse of judgment. They cheat on you. They've never done this before. They will never done this, do this again. Would you want to know? 77% of people said yes. Did they think that number was going to be lower? Yeah. <laughs> and so whatever the true number is, and you know, you might be thinking some of these people are just fooling themselves. They wouldn't really want to know. That's okay. The the question is, do you think your partner would want to know? And you know, I think some people know whether their partner would want to know. I, I think my partner would not want to know. In fact, because we've talked about this thing before, she's told me that, you know, that's when it's time to talk to someone else because this is so complicated and you really, really don't need to figure this out on your own because it's it's just too hard. It's just too consequential. And so your friend did exactly the right thing by by talking to you. And you could talk with someone about these issues. What do you do you think they would want to know? Given these circumstances, what should I do? Should I tell them? There was one more thing. Oh yes. Then the last thing I want to highlight on this issue is choose your person very carefully that you come to. Because if what you reveal to this person, you know, if you're revealing this, this instance of infidelity to another person, if they're completely scandalized by what you're telling them, you've chosen the wrong person. You've chosen the wrong person because they're going to not be as able to help you because they're going to be really caught up in, in what they see as very morally objectionable. And another reason not to talk to someone who's going to be totally scandalized by what you're telling them is in my research, we see that when people confide secrets in us, we're more likely to tell someone else if we think what they told us was morally wrong. Um, and essentially telling someone else is a form of punishment for what we see as immoral behavior. And so you really want to choose someone carefully, someone who can level-headedly walk you through the things you need to think about. If this person is really close to your partner, you're making their lives more difficult. And so that's another issue to consider. Fascinating. In the business world, uh, we often hear about secrets and uh, non-disclosure agreements and, and so forth. And one of the things that I've heard my entire career is, look, it doesn't matter what the thing is, and it doesn't matter who the person is, quote unquote, everybody tells one person. Is, is that true, Michael? About all secrets? Yeah. If somebody, no. if there's a big corporate secret <laughs> or in, in any domain for that matter, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave my wife. Don't yeah. tell anybody. All right. You know, whatever the thing is, right. Yeah. That's, that people can't keep a secret that everybody, quote unquote, uh, tells at least one person. I think the reason why that can't be entirely true is some people take secrets to their grave. I certainly know stories of people who learned after their parent had died that, oh, that parent was actually not their genetic parent. They were born by donor conception and they didn't get a chance to talk about this because their parent had already died. You know, did they talk about it with someone else? You know, maybe. So it's, I guess it's unknowable. <laughs> um, I guess if you surveyed everyone in the world, you could find out. I, I do share your sense that we all do want to tell at least one person. Maybe some of those times we 
maybe once in a while we don't let ourselves with certain secrets. But for me, that really highlights, and I think this is what you're touching on too, at the end of the day, we want to tell other people these things, even these things that we are so worried about, the negative implications of, of revealing that information. We just don't want to be alone in our thoughts. It doesn't feel good to be alone. Yeah. And that's part of why secrecy is so difficult. We're imposing this isolation on ourselves. When we know the normal course of events is you have a thought, you share it. There's something you're struggling with, you ask for help. Yes. Now, in the corporate world, so for years, I have, uh, decades really, I have not, I've refused to sign any NDAs, primarily talking to entrepreneurs. They want to talk to me about the business, da, da, da. They want an NDA before they'll talk, which is, for me, very different than the NDA that you sign as part of an agreement when, in my case, I'm investing or advising a company. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, my approach has always been that I will behave exactly the same way, even though I'm not, uh, I will behave exactly the same way as an officer or director of that company as it relates to proprietary non-public information. But when an entrepreneur comes to me and says, well, you know, I got this big idea, but before you got to sign this NDA, I say to him, look, first of all, you realize that the NDA doesn't stop me from ripping off your idea. Mm -hmm. There's no agreement we can sign that says I won't steal your idea. Mm -hmm. And these are largely non-enforceable. And even if I did steal your idea, you'd have a very hard time proving this. So my premise, and I'm clearly no lawyer, is NDAs in general are fucking stupid and, and they don't do what you want them to do. And I try to explain this to entrepreneurs. So I want your reaction to that. But before I do that, there's one other piece to it. And this is always what I add. If my 36-year reputation in Silicon Valley isn't good enough for you, you shouldn't fucking tell me anything anyway. Point A. And point B, if you think your idea is so powerful that it needs to be protected that way, you shouldn't tell anybody uh, other than people who you absolutely need to tell. So you decide whether I'm one of those people and you decide whether my reputation speaks for itself or not, but I'm not signing your stupid document. So I'm curious as to your reaction to all of that. <laughs> I do agree with the general idea that if we just could take it, every NDA out in the world and sort of, you know, put them in a stack of sheet of papers, that stack is higher than it should be. And one clear example that comes to mind immediately for me, I think this shouldn't be allowed. I think this should be illegal. Having someone sign an NDA about sexual misconduct, I think that's just bad. That shouldn't be something you should be allowed to have an NDA about because it's it's so problematic. And so I, I share your sense that they are used in places they shouldn't be used. It clearly sunk Michael Bloomberg, didn't it? One question, he was done on the NDAs. I didn't mean those kinds of NDAs. I meant the NDA that an entrepreneur, you know, in this environment is going to give. No, no. <laughs> yeah. On the sexual misconduct NDA, the one thing I wonder, you know, it, it makes sense when you say it. The one thing I wonder, though, is what, in this case of Bloomberg or whoever has done this and paid off the person to shut up, they are buying the silence. That's what they are buying. Yeah. And so they're not going to pay the person to not shut up. And so my little libertarian streak says, well, if you and I agree to something and we both agree to it and we're not breaking a law, why is that illegal? If, if I want to pay you a million dollars to shut up about something 
and you agree, why do you think that should be legal? Yeah. If there's dozens of people, it's, it's easier to see where the problems lie. It's tough. I, I agree with you that these are really difficult situations. And it's fascinating that you can even sign an agreement that makes people have to not speak about something. In the business world, which is where, which is where your question started before I dragged it in this other direction, people, I, I find in my research that people find having to not speak about work stressful, but also they find it status enhancing that you've been let in on this very privileged information. And so, you know, we're talking about the negative effects of, of these non-disclosure agreements, but in business secrets, but people also feel really good about being let in on these secrets. It can give you a sense of meaning. And so it goes to say that these are very different kinds of secrets than the ones we were talking about before. The context really changes things. Yes. And many business secrets, in my experience, are very important to shut the fuck up about. You know, we're getting ready to buy a company. Well, shut up. Right. And when that happens, there's a clean room and all the documents go in there and, and there's real strong controls about who's in and who's out and who's in the tent and who's not. And there's code, code names and there's all this stuff. And I've been involved with many, many acquisitions. Yep. And that stuff is huge. I've been involved with more quarterly earnings announcements than I can possibly imagine. And if you leak that shit out, then bad things are going to happen. And, and I think all of that, you know, I think transparency is good. But the reality is, you know, if we're getting ready to announce the quarter and we're doing that three weeks or four weeks after the end of the quarter, then the group of people who are working for those weeks on that announcement need to shut the fuck up. And if not, they're going to get fucking fired. Mm -hmm. And there's a real reason for that. And, you know, there's legal reasons for it uh, and so forth. And so I, I think those things are uh, being, a, I, I, let me say it this way, Michael, I want people to think that I'm a person they want on those teams. And I have worked diligently in my life yeah. to be that kind of person. And I don't tell secrets. You know, I had, I was with a woman years ago and uh, on a drunken night, her sister told me that when she was younger, she had had an abortion and she had asked me not to tell the gal I was dating her sister and not to tell anyone else. And so we had a conversation about it and, you know, I tried to be as empathetic as, as I could under the circumstances and I shut my fucking mouth up. And several years later, Michael, she went to her sister and said, you know, something about her abortion. And the gal I was with, her jaw dropped. And the sister who had the abortion said, well, I just assumed Chris told you at some point. She said, he never fucking told me because it's none of my business to tell anybody else. It's her business if she wants to talk about that, not mine. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the same thing is really critical in the corporate world. Right. Having been involved with deeply secretive, important information for all the reasons we discussed and others, you know, that are that I would call strong, good business practice reasons for shutting up. I want to be somebody that you trust in those critical moments with the, with that critical information. I, I certainly think a lot of people share this idea that if you tell someone in a long term committed relationship or, you know, two people who are married to each other, that if you tell them a secret, I think a lot of people assume the normal course of events is the spouse, the partner gets let in on that too. But I've also been in that same situation that you just described where a friend of mine revealed something really, really personal. And this is someone who 
just really doesn't tend to open up. And so it was a really big deal that he was telling me this thing. And like, it was such a big thing that I was like late to meet my partner wherever we were going afterward. And she was like, well, what did you talk about? I'm like, I can't tell you. And he, he didn't say you have to keep this secret, but you know, I thought about this a lot. You know, I, I also will tell people secrets and not say it's a secret or not say that don't tell anyone because you can tell um, when you when you know someone well enough, you can tell when they wouldn't want you to tell or not. And I was like, I can't tell you. It's so rare this person opens up and he, and he opened up in such a way that's like, no, I, I can't tell you that. Yeah. And, and that's powerful. And I try to be a person who respects that when somebody says, you know, I just had lunch with so-and-so and oh, how has it went? And, you know, you sort of get the impression that something big came out and you sort of do a little bit of digging and you could tell the person doesn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's pretty, you know, the implicit is loud. And so you just stick handle away from it. And every once in a while I need to be banged on the head. And so I'll, yeah. I'll say, do you not want to talk about this? And, and, then, and then I just try to move on and be a good person. <laughs> it makes me think of the reverse situation where it's like if they're not ready to talk about it saying like you don't have to talk about it the reverse is you, there's this really big thing that you want to unload if it's going to make that person's life really difficult when you re- let them in on the secret one thing you could say is can i reveal a really big secret yeah. something that you could have to keep if i tell you i know people who would be like, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know. <laughs> and so again, it's like, would this be something that they would be okay now carrying on your behalf? And so in general, are people walking around with secrets that are somewhere on the haunting spectrum? <laughs> in other words, they're, they're secrets that maybe they wish they weren't keeping secrets and, and do bother them. Uh, does the average person you meet have a few of those or, 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 or sort of give me a picture of sort of the spectrum of secret keeping and, and where people land on it. Yeah. You know, that that's such a great question. I think if the average person's keeping 13 different kinds of secrets, I would say there's a good chance that one of those matches what you just described, that we all have at least one secret where it's like, I wish this thing never happened, but it did. And I don't want people to know, or, you know, a few people know, and I, don't want anyone else to know. Hmm. Um, I think that's common. I think most people have one of those things. So uh, a couple of weekends ago, uh, four couples, we went wine tasting, had a wonderful time. Know some of them, didn't know uh, two of them. But so when eight adults are together and having a nice time and you're just looking there and you're having your charcuts and your and your Chardonnay, <laughs> whatever you're having, you go, well... Everybody sitting around here has at least a handful of these things that might be lurking for them. Yeah, I think so. I think your friends, your family, your partner, I think everyone likely has one of these. Hmm. Now, I can't think of one that I'm purposely keeping from my partner. Uh, is that, uh, am I lying to myself? Am I, <laughs> am I? no. I, I think, you know, it's so funny because right to my right, I have a list of the most common secrets people keep from their partners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, so I can so read tell me about too. the list, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the number one secret that people say that they keep from their partner is what they describe as an innocent crush on someone. Another one involves sexual history, relationship history, violating your partner's trust in some way and you, you didn't fess up to it. Romantic discontent, hmm. having told a lie. 
I mean, I'm not carrying any of that. I'm not saying I'm a perfect person, but I'm not carrying any of that. But all that makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah. The other thing I wanted to ask you is when people get caught in a lie, often it's very obvious. You know, I mean, a simple, the simple one that happens all the time. Yeah. Cop pulls you over for speeding, Mm -hmm. right? I have a Shelby Cobra Mustang. I get pulled over for speeding at least once a year, sometimes more. I don't give a shit. It's just a tax on my life. It's not upsetting to me. It's it's like, okay, we're going to do this fine. And so the cop comes up and says, do you know why I pulled you over? And one of the things I learned years ago, professor, is that most people lie. And they say, I don't, or they say something that's a lie. Well, I don't lie. You know, I'm sure I fib here and there, but I I don't lie to the cop. I say, yeah, I know exactly why you pulled me over. I had Van Halen going and I was probably doing close to 90. And he goes, yeah, I clocked you at 93. And the interesting thing is, I I don't have the hard data, but I would say 40 to 50% of the time, the cop lets me off. And when the cop lets me off, they almost always say the same thing, mm-hmm. which is I get lied to all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And you're the first person that's told me the truth in quite some time. So I'm going to let you off with a warning and just slow the fuck down, lockhead. <laughs> and I say, thank you, officer. God bless you. And look, sometimes they write me the ticket. But in that situation, uh, I learned a long time ago, don't, don't lie. You're caught red-handed. You fucking did it. Take your medicine. Yep. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. This is actually a technique for at least some of the time get, getting out of the ticket. And so, so help me with those kinds of situations where you're obviously, uh, you did it. You've been caught. And then we lie. We obviously lie. And then even worse, sometimes when pressed, we dig in even deeper to the lie and the lie gets bigger and deeper and and so forth. And so mm-hmm. why do we lie like that? And then when called out on it, when, when obvious to every person on planet earth, you're lying. Some of us, human nature, we seem to dig into these lies and double down on them. Yeah. You know, lying will sometimes feel like the easiest thing to do, but you're correct that it's not your best choice in most situations. Your story reminded me of a time where we have this like plant that's like hanging in our shower and it's like one of the, I don't know the name of plants, but it's the kind of plant where like, there's like a vine that just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. And you start looping it around things because it's so long. And there was one day where I accidentally snapped off this like incredibly long part of the, of the plant. And my wife was like, did you break the plant? And I said, no, I found it that way, which is so stupid. She knew, she knew right away that I was lying and then, and then you're caught lying. So it's, it's definitely feels so easy, but I do think often it doesn't work out for you for, for these reasons that we're talking about. And there are other ways to keep a secret besides a lie. So, you know, one thing is to just come out with the truth, which probably would have been the best thing to do in this plan situation. And it seems like it's worked for you in, in the speeding domain. But if that doesn't feel like the right thing to do, there's other things you could say. Uh, you could say something that is true. That's not exactly answering the question that they asked. That actually works in a lot of situations. And I'm not trying to give people tips to sort of be sneaky, but what I am trying to convey is sometimes there's, there's other options besides lying. Someone asks you something and you say, I, I don't really want to talk about that right now. We can talk, we'll, we'll talk about it, but, but not now, or, you know, sort of postponing, postponing the, the inevitable or whatever it is. But lying is one way to keep a secret, but it's not the only way. Yeah. So 
stick handling around it a little bit and hoping people forget <laughs> is another technique we can or or changing the subject or or some yeah. some bit of a of an aikido move to get out of the way especially if the conversation is involves more than two people it's like three people or more these kinds of things actually work really well where you just say like oh you know just answer a different question or introduce a new topic to the conversation because conversations with many people move so quickly from topic to topic if it's just one person who's pressing you maybe now it's not the right time to try to dance around the truth because it, it's so obvious you know if we're talking about the kinds of secrets that you're not ready to talk about where it's something more complicated than having broken a plan or, or speeding uh, you could say you know i really appreciate you checking in on me about this i just don't want to talk about it right now let's talk about it at a later point and maybe you actually have to talk about it later but sometimes you're just not ready and, and you can ask for time hmm. and, and most people will give it to you now michael i could talk to you about this topic forever but you're a professor who's out ma making a big difference in the world. And so I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else that you think I should know about this and your work? Is there anything else you want to share? I think we've hit on the big things. If there's a secret that you have that you're not sure that you've made the right choice about, or it's upsetting you, or it's bothering you, or you feel like it's haunting you and it keeps coming to mind, to me, that signals you have something to do. You have some work to do. And Often the work that you need to do towards the right path involves another person. Other people have so much that they can offer you, new perspectives, emotional support, things that are really hard to find on your own. And so if that's your situation, it's finding that person that you can talk to and it can be anyone. Well, thank you, Professor. Uh, your work is so inspiring. You know, the, the human condition is such a mystery and why we behave the way we do. And we all like to think we're all logical. And of course, we're largely not logical or often not logical. And Sometimes we don't even understand ourselves. And, and so I deeply appreciate your work because you're, you, you certainly helped me. And I think obviously you're helping many others with a lens into themselves. And so I think the more we can understand the human condition, the more we can make a difference <laughs> with the human condition. And it feels like we're living at a time where the human condition might need a little bit of help. Right now. <laughs> So thank you so much, um, and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Good luck with the rest of your book launch. I think everybody should go out and buy it, and uh, I deeply appreciate our time. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Well, there he is, the legendary Michael Slepian, The Secret Life of Secrets, How Our Inner Worlds Shape Well-Being, Relationships, and Who We Are. It's on the shelves now. It's on uh, uh, Amazon.com and anywhere else you pick up legendary books. As I said, I love this book very much, and I would encourage you to pick up a copy. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, there is a share uh, capability in Apple Podcasts and Spotify and pretty much all the other podcast players. So why not, as you're listening right now, hit that share feature and send it to the people that you love and admire in the world. Also, make sure that you follow and or subscribe to this podcast, and you won't miss any legendary dialogues going forward. All right. We would like to thank, thank you. Thank you so much for your time and attention. We always deeply appreciate it. Also, don't forget to go to Shakeology.com and check out superfood desserts from Shakeology.com. As I said off the top, I've been enjoying the new vanilla chai. It's plant-based vegan Shakeology, and it's like drinking dessert, and it is yummy. Check out Shakeology.com. And my friends at Malibu Milk are the world's first whole plant flax milk milk made by a mom and it's the small tasty change that makes a big difference if you're like me 
You went from uh, old-fashioned milk to almond milk to soy milk to oat milk, etc. And the aha here is that flax is a whole plant superfood that is much better for the environment and tastes incredible. So why not check out Malibu Milk with a Y.com? That's Malibu Milk with a Y.com. And if you're picking up Shakeology, I love to have my Shakeology with my Malibu <laughs> Shakeology plus Malibu Milk. It's unbelievable. It's the combination made in heaven. Today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. Warning. Uh, the uh, creators of this uh, podcast have been taking Shakeology and potentially some libations. Don't forget that um, Kathleen Madigan was right. Thinking about thinking is the most important kind of thinking. Listen to Johnny Cash. Uh, if you're a B2B company and you need a new website, check out my friends at atre.net. That's A-T-R-E dot N-E-T. And ask them about the re- rapid relaunch program. Please be kind and remember to rewind. And if you want to get your leading thoughts on some leading podcasts, my friends at interviewvalet.com are the world-leading uh, podcast interview marketing company. Not only will they get you on podcasts, they'll teach you how to use your podcast guesting as a strategic marketing tool. We are produced and edited by the greatest of all time, Jason DeFilippo. Uh, check him out at jason.fyi. He's got a legendary new podcast studio in Los Angeles. Check out jason.fyi. FYI, Sarah Knox and Jamie J do legendary technical execution, and they build Lockhead.com. Show notes by GM Simon. The Bobus Brothers, RJ and EX, do our web development, and Cedric Biros does our graphic design. Our uh, law firm is Weed and Jack, and our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind. If you must email us, send email to blackhole at Lockhead.com. Don't forget to teach dialogue. Hold your friends close and your secrets closer. Uh, your uh, partner called and uh, said it's okay. You can go ahead and subscribe to Category Pirates. Thank you, Candy Dandy. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Alex Jones. Sorry, Alex. We just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you so much for investing part of your life with us. We deeply appreciate you. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and of course, till we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>